the Lord and always dealing with us, O Lord, in the midst of our weakness and shortcomings. We ask you, Lord, to please bless, O Lord, this gathering, O Lord, enrich, O Lord, our minds and our hearts, O Lord, to understand, O Lord, your commandments, and to understand, O Lord, how you uh, instructed the early church so that we might, O Lord, live by it. For these, O Lord, are your commandments, O Lord, and these are your statutes. Forgive us, O Lord, for everything, and bless the Lord, the church, and this country, and all those, O Lord, who are in turmoil, uh, and our brothers and sisters in Egypt, and all over the world, O Lord, who are in, uh, suffering any time of hardship. Forgive us, Lord, our many sins. Show us mercy, O Lord, and bring this pandemic to an end. In the intercessions and prayers, your beloved mother, the ever-virgin Theotokos, St. Mary, the intercession of Archangel Michael, Archangel Gabriel, St. John the Baptist, and all the saints and martyrs, hear us, Lord, and we say, thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> How's everyone doing? Good. It's good to see everyone. Um, <clears throat> We can discuss together. I don't know. Is there a song or anything else we do, Sharif, or we just jump right in? We jump right in. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, so we'll have like this discussion on First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter six, and you know, if anybody has any questions or comments, we can kind of address them as we go. Shouldn't be too long. It's a, a fairly short chapter. Um, Saint Paul begins, and he says, uh, "Sorry." It says, uh, dare any of you having a matter? So do you remember what, uh, what book are you guys studying now before I begin? Anybody? Genesis. What book do you, what book are you guys studying now with the Buddha Matthias? Genesis. Genesis. Okay, great. So in first Corinthians, uh, just to kind of give you a, a history, um, there are some troubles in the church of Corinth. And this first letter is like, like a, a compilation of some of the issues that they had. And St. Paul's responding to them, uh, you know, in this letter. So like the first four chapters are dealing with the issue of division. There are a lot of divisions in the, in the Corinthian church. Some are saying they belong to Apollo. Some say they belong to Paul, some of, uh, to St. Peter and some to Lord Jesus. Um, so he, he spent four chapters, you know, discussing this issue of division. And then in the fifth chapter, the one before this one, he was speaking about a man who was committing adultery and the church knew about it and didn't do anything to him. They just kind of left him. So he kind of like reams them in the fifth chapter and telling them what they need to basically excommunicate him. And the idea here of excommunication is not to like get back at him, but to bring him to repentance when he feels kid lonely he'll come to his senses and this might drive him to repentance. So, uh, and we know from the second uh, letter to the Corinthians that this was the desired response. And this was actually the response that the, um, the, the church uh, actually got. So he ended up repenting, thank God. Uh, so on, on the back of that, you know, uh, he speaks about this issue of adultery. Uh, of sexual morality, and then he jumps in to uh, two issues in chapter six, which is, you know, our freedom and uh, the use of the civil courts. <clears throat> so he says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. So here he's addressing, like, um, not the issues between, you know, a Christian and a non-believer. But he's speaking here about a Christian and a Christian uh, against one another. Um, so, and he says here that dare, when he says like dare any of you, it, it almost implies that it's something that's not loyal and it's something that's not like uh, uh, befitting of a Christian. Because again, we, we know that the Christian law or the biblical law uh, or the law of God is more stringent and, and different than the secular law. The secular law, unfortunately, adapts according to the time. Uh, for example, nowadays, you know, uh, homosexual marriage is something that's permitted. But of course, clearly in the Bible, this is not permitted. Um, 
so the the law is uh, is very clear. Even gender, gender in the Bible speaks about male and female. And now, you know, days they're talking about all sorts of different kind of any uh, uh, things. So the law of uh, the land is different than the law of the Christian, and the Christian law ought to be more stringent um, <clears throat> and is usually more stringent. But it's speaking here now about taking a brother who is like uh, a fellow Christian to the courts. Um, and here when he says before the unrighteous here, he's speaking about um, uh, the non-believers. He calls them here the unrighteous. And the saints, he, of course, here he means here the Christians. Um, and when he says not, not the non-righteous, he's not saying because like the wickedness, but he's saying here that and he, what he means here is that, that um, the people who judge not according to the law of God. So their judgment is unrighteous because they don't keep in mind the righteousness of God when they pronounce uh, judgment. Um, and also, you know, it's a problem for the believers at the time to go to court, um, uh, to go to a secular uh, court, because at the time they're all pagan. So part of the, you know, uh, the trial process, they have them swear on the pagan gods. And of course, this is something that's contrary to, uh, again, the Christian any belief. Uh, we should only swear by God, or we shouldn't swear at all, but when we give an oath, it's by the living God. So this posed a problem to all the Christians in the, in the early uh, church. <clears throat> um, and then he says, um, uh, so one of the things maybe we also we can say is that when a Christian, for example, is going to take, go to court, you know, against his brother, a lot of times, if you think about why people go to court to begin with, um, I think one or two things, either I want to take revenge on somebody because they harmed me or did something to me, so I want to take revenge on them, or I'm seeking some kind of profit from this, uh, whether it be monetary, whether it be fame, whether it be opportunity, whatever it might be. Um, so there's some kind of either revenge or like a profit, and both of these don't really line up well with the Christian you know, understanding. Uh, we shouldn't be seeking revenge, but we're supposed to be, you know, long-suffering, patient, forgiving, and so on, uh, and wanting the salvation of, of everyone. Um, <clears throat> then he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Um, so here, when he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Actually, the Lord Christ said the same thing. If you look in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 29 and 30, I'll read it for you. He says, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, so he's saying here that the saints, they will... Um, uh, um, the saints will judge any, uh, the earth or the world. Um, not, of course, in the place of God. Uh, how will the saints any, judge the world? They'll judge the world by comparison. You know, if you look at maybe even now in America, you'll say a lot of people, any, they don't know God, they reject him, they want to follow their own you know, devices and so on. And then when it comes to the time for somebody like this to be judged, you know, God will pull somebody who was raised in a similar situation, who was raised here in America, who had maybe a similar background in terms of the family that they grew up in, but he turned out good and he turned out righteous. So here, the excuse of it's not my fault, it's my environment will not be valid because somebody in the same situation struggled and fought against sin and against his own desires and was victorious. Um, so the saints will judge by comparison. And oftentimes when we sometimes we sit in our with ourselves and we read the stories and lives of the saints, this is what we're doing. We compare ourselves to them and say, wow, you know, where am I next to David who prayed seven times a day? You know, where am I uh, next to uh, St. Beshoy who was so persistent in his prayer uh, uh, that he, 
wanted um, uh, to tie a rope to his beard so he won't sleep. And sometimes I just kind of throw myself on the bed. And as I'm closing my eyes, I'll say our father or something, you know. Um, uh, and so and then he says and if the world will be judged by you are you not worthy to judge the smallest matter so what was happening is they would take these petty things and they take them to the courts you know uh, which it shouldn't be he's telling them that you know uh, you are supposed to be the ones who will be setting an example for the world and the world will be judged because of your righteousness and then you take each other to court for some petty matters He's not speaking here about using the civil liberties or using the civil law, because again, Yanni, in another place, he says that uh, the law and the government was put for our protection. And those who do uh, evil ought to fear and the, the punishment of the government and those who do righteousness have no need to fear. So the government is there and the civil courts are there, you know, perhaps, you know, in larger matters where, it's not involving two brothers in uh, in the church and our yani, uh, maybe larger uh, matters that perhaps we can't handle yani, locally. But he's speaking here about the small matters that we should yani, uh, keep it between ourselves. Um, and you know, um, nowadays you'll find yani, um, when you take things to the civil courts for some things that are small, sometimes they they can they can grow without your you know without you wanting them to grow, you know. So I might go into the court for a small matter, and then the lawyers get the lawyer the lawyers get involved. They begin to dig because they want more money, and they find all of these other things that perhaps when I first you know uh, raised the issue, this was not my intent. My intent was something very simple. But because now it's now in the hands of the government, the civil, and there are people who make money off of this, it's become something maybe that's out, it becomes out of control. Um, and perhaps the result will be something that you didn't desire or want. Um, and then he says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So he's saying, yeah, we're gonna judge angels. Not only are we gonna judge, the, um, the world, but also judge the angels. How will we judge the angels? And of course, not the angels in heaven because they didn't make any fault, but we will judge the fallen angels because they were created in a higher state than we are. They're more powerful, more knowledgeable and all of these things, um, but yet they, and they weren't deceived, but they chose for themselves to follow the way of wickedness and rebellion. Um, so yani, we who are weaker species, um, and we're deceived, but then by our choices uh, and by uh, aligning ourselves with Christ and we're saved, then we will judge them because we were inferior to them, but yet through our struggle uh, and through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we became victorious. Uh, so in turn, we will judge any of the angels. In Jude uh, chapter six, he says, um, and the angels who did not keep their proper dominion, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So the time will come where they will all be judged and condemned. <clears throat> and then he says in verse four, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? So he's telling us to appoint those yani, uh, or, yani, uh, who are least esteemed in the church to judge is better than going to the non-believers. Um, because at the end of the day, again, even the least esteemed in the church, they have a moral foundation, a biblical moral foundation. Uh, and the principle of forgiveness and the covering of one's sin, all of these are, um, are principles that are familiar to the Christian yani, uh, um, system and, uh, or, and family. Uh, but of course you tell, tell that to the secular yani, community, uh, that it doesn't fly with them. They don't understand this. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. 
Then he says in verse five, I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise, is, uh, is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? So he says, yeah, basically, hey, shame on you, because in the whole church, there's not one wise person who can judge any of the simple matters between two individuals who can hear a case and say, okay, you're in the fault here or you're in the fault here, you know, and this is how we should reconcile and make up and forgive and move on. There's nobody among you who can do this. And if there's not, this is a shame on you. But certainly in every community, there is one person, at least who has the capability of being any uh, the source of reason, uh, a Christian reason in, in the community. <clears throat> um, and that's why it's important for us you know, when we select people who give counsel to select those who uh, are wise. Um, a lot of times this falls on the priest, uh, but it doesn't have to always fall on the priest, or at least he can have people who work with him. And it's important that he chooses people who are wise uh, and who have this good biblical foundation. So when they give counsel, it's 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 correct and it's biblically based. Um, it's very different when you go to a, a Christian counselor versus secular counsel. The secular counselor is there to make you feel good, but the Christian counselor is there to for your salvation. And sometimes there ought to uh, say things that perhaps maybe might feel, make us feel uncomfortable. But it's through these uncomforts that uh, we gain our salvation uh, and the true perspective of things. And then he says, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? This is like a principle, I think, that's, Yanni, if we were to preach this now, Yanni, uh, on the housetops in our society, we would be, probably be stoned, <laughs> you know? Let ourselves be cheated? What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Um, uh, accept wrong? No way. I have a right, you know? We're the home of the, uh, of the free and land of the brave, and, you know, we need our rights, and everything has to be, Yanni, uh, according to my liking and so on. Um, but here St. Paul is putting again, a fourth uh, Christian principle. Um, but first he says it's an utter failure. So he considers it a failure on the church's part when the believers take each other Yanni, to court. Of course, Yanni, on the church and more so on those who do so. Um, and he says it is better to accept wrong or to be cheated than to take each other to the court. I can't tell you maybe they're like any... A lot of times I've heard, like, for for example, in Egypt, there's a big, you know, um, uh, sometimes, you know, the inheritance is a big deal there. And many siblings will take each other to court because of the inheritance and what's fair and what's not fair, what's mine, you took mine and so on. And this sometimes will jeopardize the relationship for the rest of their life because of the inheritance, because of money. But here he says, why not let yourself be uh, cheated? It's better to be cheated and to gain your friends and keep your any uh, and perhaps the peace and also, you know, not jeopardize my salvation and salvation of another for some land. Is this not what made Mbabola and Babola? Do you remember St. Uh, Paula's story? Uh, what made him go to the wilderness was this issue between the inheritance uh, between him and his brother. There he was taking his brother to court. And then he realized, okay, none of this is going to really matter. Um, and I'm going to take none of this with me. So he says, okay, he conceded all of his portion. And he said, my brother can have it all. And then he went to the wilderness and became St. Paula. Again, because he permitted himself to be cheated and wrong. And isn't this what Christ did? He permitted himself to be, you know, wronged to say about him that he was, and they, they, um, they falsely accused him and he kept his mouth shut and he took and he bore the suffering as if he was guilty, but he was innocent. You know, he allowed himself to be wronged and to be cheated. Uh, I'm not saying that this is, we do all the time when we don't do what's right and so on. 
But yeah, we got to look at the greater scheme of things. Am I willing to escalate this to a point of taking it to the authorities? And is it really worth what will come after it? Sometimes we just get in the, you know, in the heat of things. We don't consider what will be the end result of my actions. And, you know, we begin and then we realize that what I began is far greater than what I intended and you end up getting in trouble uh, for it. So he puts this principle for us. Why not let yourselves be cheated or accept wrong? And here, I, it's very important to, clear, to be, clarify here. When he says, uh, why do you not rather accept wrong? So he's not saying here that you're going to yani, uh, uh, accept be, yani, um, um, accept, yani, basically say that you're guilty. You know, he's not saying that for you to just plead guilty for something you didn't do, because this would be a lie. He's not saying this. But he's saying here, accept to be wronged, meaning, you know, I'm just going to yani, forego my rights. So we don't want to yani, say if somebody falsely accuses of something, yani, okay, just for the sake of accepting wrong, I'm not going to say the truth. We should say the truth, right? But if yani, yani, the declaration of the truth Yani, what will it risk? We got to weigh it out. Each situation someone is different. Um, and sometimes just, خلاص, okay, I'm accepting yani, uh, to bear this as if I was wrong, but I wasn't. And that's okay. Um, but I'm not you know, going to just say, okay, no, I did something wrong when I actually didn't do it. Because yani, then this would be lying. I hope it's kind of clear. And if you have questions, yani, uh, please feel free to ask. Um, then he says, uh, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. So, um, so they were doing the same things. So he's saying you were doing the same, you were wronging and cheating. Um, how can we really be in the image of Christ when we're doing these same things that perhaps we're taking our brethren to the courts over? Um, so he warns us here to kind of look at ourselves when we want to take our brethren to the court. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So he wants to make it clear here that the unrighteous, you know, those who don't walk according to the commandment of God, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, again, we have to think of it and he, uh, and a lot of people nowadays will say, oh, this is not inclusive and blah, 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 and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, whose kingdom is it? It's God's kingdom. If we want to go into God's kingdom, we abide by his rules. If I have a rule in my house that it says, everybody that comes, all the visitors that come to my house, they have to take off their shoes outside before they enter into my house. And somebody comes and says, you know, I'm a good person, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to take off my shoes. Then who's at liberty to you know, permit him to enter or not? It's the owner of the house, me. And if I say no one comes in without shoes, then he's not permitted to come in to the shoes. So I can't say, and then, oh, it's not fair. You're being impartial and all of these things and, uh, uh, and you're being uh, judgmental because I made a rule of taking off one's shoes. We don't, we don't see that. Um, so we have to remember that the kingdom is God's, right? We can't, by our standard, enter into his kingdom. But we enter into his kingdom by his standards. Um, so that's why he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, do not be deceived. And he gives a list. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor, uh, nor, sorry, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. All of these, you know, he's saying will not inherit. Nor thieves, anyone who steals, nor covets nor drunkards, again, those who uh, drink intoxicating drinks to the point where they're drunk. Again, this is a list of the unrighteous. Um, uh, uh, nor uh, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And he prefaces all this by saying, do not be deceived. Why does he say this? Perhaps you know, with, a, with an eye of prophecy that there will become a point in time where people will say that these are okay and permissible 
and, he, and then try to defend it with the Bible. Right? So he's making it very clear here that don't be deceived. If any of these who are doing any of these lists that he just listed here and claim that we can enter the kingdom of God and still be doing these things, don't be deceived. You're being mistaken. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So he tells them that they committed uh, uh, such sins, but then they were washed and sanctified and justified. The washing here is what the believer experiences in baptism, right? The washing away of our sins. The sanctification comes from the consecration of the holy oil, the mayrun, or the confirmation. This is the consecration that I'm set apart for the work of God. I'm set apart to live a Christian life. You know, after we baptize a child, um, we baptize them and anoint them with the, the holy mayrun. Then you hear a command that's given to the family or to the parents. And it's, in, you know, we give it to the parents because the child still doesn't understand. But when they're an adult, they read this command for themselves. And this becomes a vow that they take before God, you know, not to walk in ungodly places. Um, that for the parents, they'll answer for your children on the day of judgment. So they have a sense of accountability for this child and his actions, his upbringing, teaching him to go to church and to fast and pray and so on. Um, so this is the sanctification. Justifications is, um, is what happens through the blood of Christ. As St. John says in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. So uh, we are justified now in the eyes of God through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that he shed for us on the cross. Um, <clears throat> uh, then he shifts gears uh, in verse 12. And he says, "What well, all things are lawful for me, but all, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So now he switches now to Christian liberty right? Um, and how we should use this liberty. And he begins, he says, but all things are lawful for me. Of course, he's not speaking here about everything, right? Because he's not saying, okay, I can go commit fornication, adultery in the list that he can, you know, said before, but he's speaking of things that are lawful, right? Taking a wife or not taking a wife. Um, uh, you know, there are certain things that, you know, eating meat or not eating meat, you know, there, you know, eating is not something that's not uh, that's unlawful, right? So he's saying here, the things that are lawful. How do we judge between these things? Or the things that are okay. How do we judge the, between these things? How do I know my limit? Uh, so he said, the first thing he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. So the first question we have to ask: Okay, is this thing that's neither right or wrong? Is it helpful? Is it helpful? Some people look, for example, maybe marriage and say, oh, that's not helpful for me. I don't, I'm more concerned about my relationship with God and serving and so on. And this is what I want to devote my life to. So marriage to me is not helpful. Others will look at marriage and say, no, this is very helpful. I have a companion in life. Uh, I have somebody to help me when I'm weak and somebody to encourage me uh, and somebody to be a partner in raising a Christian family and so on. So we see this as helpful. Um, so this is the first thing. Is it helpful? The places that we go, you know, you know, the, maybe the paces that are neutral, are they helpful? Or are they not helpful? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know, um, uh, uh, you know, this is another area. Like, uh, if you take the area of like alcohol, alcohol. You know, alcohol we we use, for example, in communion. So the alcohol as a substance is not sinful in in and of itself because it was created by God. But the abuse of it is what is sinful. You know, St. Paul in the list earlier mentioned earlier, he speaks about drunken, drunkenness. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not about, you know, the item, but then, okay, will I be brought under the power of any? Yes, when I'm drunk, I'm not in my you know, mind, right? I'm in my right mind. People do things when they're drunk that when they're sober, they wouldn't do. And the same principle goes for marijuana. The same thing goes for any kind of drug that alters our state of consciousness. Um, uh, so again, these things are not um, uh, 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 lawful. 
Um, <clears throat> then look at look what he says in, in verse 13. It's a beautiful verse. It says, food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God would destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he says, okay, and he was speaking before about the things that are lawful like food. Uh, and then he speaks in another place about eating food that's offered to idols, right? So to the Christian, eating food that's offered to idols doesn't matter because we don't believe in the idols anyways. So it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't defile me. As Christ said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles me, but what comes out. Um, but then if it makes my brother who is weak stumble, then I shouldn't eat the meat, right? Um, so then he's saying here, food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God would destroy both it and them. So he's saying here that the food is for the stomach, right? Uh, is to fulfill the, to satisfy the flesh, the stomach. And the stomach, yani for food, but God will destroy both it. So he's saying what? The food is like... Um, uh, the item that one is tempted by or the means, right, to the temptation. The stomach is the subject of the temptation, right? So here actually what St. Paul is saying is that at, there will come a day where God will destroy both the tempter and the one who gave in to the temptation by the tempter. You know, you follow me here? So, and, he, and this you see in the book of Revelation where those uh, Satan, those evil yani, demons who tempt will be destroyed as well as those who permitted themselves to be tempted and, and are to, or submitted themselves to the temptation of uh, Satan. Both will be destroyed. And then he says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, referring to uh, yani, what was going on in chapter five, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he's saying now the body that we have is not meant just to go out and fulfill its sexual desire or any desire, whether food or sexuality, whatever. It's not meant for that, right? But it's meant for the Lord. Uh, and the same thing, the Lord is for the body. He came to sanctify not only our spirits, but our spirits and our bodies as well. That's why our faith has to be a faith that is acting because it's something that needs, you know, uh, both spirit and body as well you know if we say okay we believe and everything like that and all that's fine and it's all up here but there's no translation into my actions then my body is not you know living according to what my faith is so there here there's you know, a gap but there's a separation between the two which ought not to be any the case um and then he says um uh and God, uh, and God both raises up, raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So our bodies are like a mystically part of the Christ's body, uh, of his glorified body. So <clears throat> just as God uh, raised himself uh, from the dead, he will also raise us up in Christ in the last day. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. So he says, yani, should we take the members of our body? He says that we are part of Christ. Sometimes, you know, we lose focus of this and we lose sight of this. That my body is a body of Christ. What I say, how I dress, how I act, um, all of these things, you know, impact the body of Christ. And they, um, uh, um, and they kind of send a message, you know, to the rest of the world about the body of Christ. You know, uh, it would be a fearful thing if Christ is blasphemed because of me. Um, and it's something that sometimes you lose sight of, but and my, I'm speaking here to myself first. Um, uh, that we need to keep, that, and keep ourselves pure and holy uh, because as members of the body, yeah, and we affect one another whether we realize it or, don't, or not. 
Um, and God forbid we take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot. Um, then he says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. And he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So here he's saying, once we join with a harlot, then we separate ourselves from Christ. Because we can't be joined to the harlot and then joined to Christ. Um, we can't be any yeah, fulfilling the passions of the body and then claim that we are Christians and that we're in the body of Christ. Again, it's very different than somebody committing a sin out of weakness and wants to repent versus somebody who's pursuing sin. What's the difference between the uh, one who's a saint and who's not, not a saint? Is the saint hates the sin. The saint hates the sin and therefore repents and doesn't like it. But the one who is unrighteous is the person who doesn't hate the sin. He's okay with it or perhaps even enjoys it. Um, and then he says, flee sexual immorality. Again, one of those things where St. Paul and the Bible tell us and a very clearly flee from this. You know, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. So there are many people who have fallen who we would say are strong, um, like David, like uh, Samson, like Solomon. All of these fell. These were, you know, men of great stature, spiritually, physically, uh, and mentally uh, in the Bible. And they all fell from the same sin. So where are we next to them? Uh, we need to kind of approach this, you know, uh, with humility. Not say, okay, I can go to this place or look at this website or, or something like that, and I won't be affected by it. No, we will, we will be affected by it. If the strong men were affected by it, certainly any, our weakness will be. Um, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Sexual immorality is a sin against our own body and against the other person as well. So it's twofold, right? You know, if I lie, for example, I lie to myself, I affect myself. When I commit sexual morality, I uh, defile another person as well. And, you know, myself. Um, so I will carry both of the burdens, the other person and mine as well. Um, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You know, so he says, okay, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Basically, your body is a church. Your body is a church. Um, and you have the Spirit of God that dwells in you. And he says, you are not your own. So what do you mean? You know, am I a slave? Yes, we ought to be. We ought to be a slave. And humanity is, is a slave of either the world or a slave of Christ or a slave to himself fulfilling his passion right so we are will be a slave but who will you be a slave to will be a slave to your passions and to the world and the pleasures of life or will we be a slave to christ saint paul while he was in prison he was yani bound uh as if he was a slave he says paul the bond servant of our lord jesus christ or the bond slave of our lord jesus christ called to be an apostle so he says, he declares that I put myself as a slave uh, of Christ. Uh, and then he says, you are not your own. And he says, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we were bought at a price, the price of a very high price, the price of the blood of Christ. And because of this, we ought to glorify God in our body. We ought to you know, use our bodies for his glory. Uh, and to and he strive to keep ourselves pure uh, every day of our life. And it's not just, you know, in person and physically, but even online, even online. Unfortunately, and, uh, some people, you know, they wouldn't say things or look a certain way in public, but when they uh, post themselves or online, it's a completely different story. Um, but the Christian is the same everywhere. In the church, at home, online, we should be the same.
We were bought at a price, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Yes, Sandy. I have a couple of questions from the things that Uppik just explained. The first sure. is about when Uppik was speaking about that everything is uh, lawful for me, but not everything is helpful. Um, that reminds me of a verse that I'm always confused when I, when I remember. It's the verse that says that we will give account in every idle word. Um, I just don't understand what idle word means. Like, does it mean that any word that's not beneficial or like edifying we should not speak even if it's not bad uh yes that's what it means it's one of those sins that we probably all should put on our confession list <laughs> um yeah it's it's not a building and it's not a building word you know sometimes i think like um um for example there are things maybe we can talk in like in a marital relationship right you know that you know there's not they're not really any uh they're just conversation right but it still builds the relationship right so it's still building the problem is that when my talk becomes destructive when i talk about people i slander people and all of these things then it becomes you know, you know something that i will be accountable for um but sometimes you know you know uh um you know the casual conversations that we have can still be used to build right um but I think it's more geared towards what kind of, what are we speaking that's building and what are we speaking that's bringing down? One more question. Uthak um, also spoke about the part that, um, that says that we could be causing other people that are not like from the people of God to kind of blaspheme on God by our actions as the children of God. Um, so I say that again. We uh, what? It's like said that we could cause other people to blaspheme the name of God by our actions when they look yeah. at us. They see that but we're not acting the right way. Yeah. But and also also made the distinction between somebody that's a sinner and somebody that's like like live, like wanting the life of sin. Um, but also like even if we are somebody like that repents from our sins. So it feels kind of scary whenever we're servants and we feel like the eyes are on us. Even if we repent from our sins, it feels like still like people don't see us when we repent. So it feels scary. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, that's true, Yanni. Um, but again, sometimes maybe we need to correct the, um, sometimes Yanni, we need to correct the impression uh, this impression in, the, in people's eyes and those whom we serve. Uh, sometimes they say, okay, well, the servant should be somebody who doesn't make a mistake or somebody who doesn't sin. No, who said that? The same with the priest. Who said that the sin of the priest is somebody who doesn't sin or doesn't make a mistake? They all <laughs> made plenty of mistakes, you know, uh, in, in my life. And, and even you know, as a priest, and maybe even more as a priest, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, humanity is humanity, you know, regardless, you know, at every level, there's going to be you know, any, uh, we're all fighting a similar battle, we're all fighting any you know, sin in different ways. Um, even the monks in the desert, they have their own battle and their own you know, uh, struggle. So no one is without sin and no one is without struggle, whether servant, priest, bishop, pope, everybody's you know, you know, uh, we're in this together. And that's what we have to you know, always keep in mind. As a family, we're all struggling together. You know, um, children were struggling and parents are struggling and each has maybe uh, their own struggle according to where they are in their spiritual life, but everybody has their struggle, you know? Um, so, you know, um, uh, we have to you know, uh, kind of like uh, you know, make sure that they understand that, you know, we don't, we're not claiming to be perfect. Yes, as servants, we hold, you know we ought to hold ourselves to a higher standard, and we should be, um, because you know again we can be more of a stumbling block to others than you know uh, than somebody maybe who's a layman, right? Uh, there was a, a, a wise father once I heard in a sermon, and he was commenting on why is it that we pray for the bishop and the pope and the priests and the liturgy, and he was saying you know. Um, uh, because they who are in the leadership positions in the church, they need the most prayers. 
because you know if you want to topple a system and you go after the leaders, right? And this actually in the the persecution in the early church, this is exactly what happened. And one of Saint Paul's letters, he was I think it was Corinthians. He says, "The one who desires to be a bishop desires a good thing." You and I might look at this and say, "Oh yeah," because they want the honor. But actually, the position of the bishop is not a position. It's a it's a position of honor when he comes to your house and you give him food and all. This is okay. Yeah, this is this is not really the position of a bishop is. And in the early church, the the position of the bishop was the first to be martyred. And it, when they they came after the church, they went after the leaders first, right? Uh, and throughout history, not just in the early church, throughout history, they'll come after the leaders first. So uh, they need the most prayers. Um, and then if you look at it, you know, when a servant falls, he can take his, you know, his, his children with him, right? They'll be affected by this. When the priest, you know, falls, he will take any, you know, this will, the burden will be carried and will be the church, whole church will suffer because of it, right? And if the bishop falls, the whole diocese will suffer and will have a hard time because of this. And imagine that if the Pope falls, the whole church will be in turmoil because of this. So they need Yanni, our prayers, Yanni, and uh, uh, I'm among them, Yanni, I need your prayers. Yanni. So, you know, one more thing. So when we, like as children of God, when we examine ourselves and we try to think of that verse about like how we don't want people to blaspheme the name of God because of us, how do we tell that our sins are like, that God is going to judge our sins or like our actions as things that would make other people blaspheme the name of God or if we are just sinners that are repenting. So let me see if I understand. So your question is, you know, how do I know if my sin is making somebody else stumble? Um, so, uh, some, so if it's publicly, if it's publicly, you know, um, uh, if I make my sin public, and without shame, just like what happened in chapter five, when this guy who committed yani, uh, sexual morality in chapter five, and the church knew about it and didn't do anything. So how did the church know? He made it public, right? It was a public thing. So now this then becomes a stumbling block, you know? Uh, so if I make it public and I'm not like, uh, yani, uh, cause typically if somebody really doesn't like sin, yani, they want to cover it. And, he, and he actually, in every day in the Thanksgiving prayer, we thank God for covering for our sins. For he has covered us, helped us, guarded us, right? You know, thank God he covers for our sins most of the time, right? But if I'm publicly you know, exposing my sin, and then maybe I even you know, um, brag about it, then, you know, yes, this will be you know, a source of stumbling block, and I'll be accountable for it. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions or comments? Okay. Thank you guys. I appreciate your time. God so bless you. Yeah. So what? So what? So what? So what? I actually have a comment on verse nine. Um, this chapter that now we just that now we just uh, covered. Uh, okay. Verse nine. Verse nine. Verse nine reminds me of um of um of uh, Adam and Eve where where you know God gave them a clear a, a clear commandment which is don't eat the, the don't eat from the tree of good and evil so it's like as if God is telling them to not be deceived. So in other words that means you know if you follow my commandment then then uh, then you will live forever. But Adam and but but actually, on the flip side of that, Adam and Adam, Adam and Eve understood very well that 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 they should not eat from the tree. But actually, but but as they, at the end, they chose to eat from the forbidden tree that God told them not to not to eat from. So they felt like. As if God was actually tricking them, but in reality, God was not tricking them. I mean, God, God, God gave them a clear commandment. Oh yeah, no, no, God wasn't. It was Satan that deceived them, not God. I Satan know that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. In other words, 
God, God gave them a good commandment, but on the flip side of that, they chose to eat from the forbidden tree instead of right. obeying his commandments. So, so, so in other words, oh, when Satan told them, if you eat from the tree, you should, you should surely not die. It felt like as if Satan was telling them that God is just assuming that you'll die if you eat from the street, but but on the flip side, God, uh, yeah, God did not make up that commandment. God gave them that weird commandment. Mm-hmm. Right. God is the one who created, it makes the commandments. He's the lawgiver, right? And he gave it to them. And it was very clear and left them with a choice um, to obey and disobey. Uh, and this is where they were held accountable when they disobeyed God and chose for themselves, you know, rather than seeking their counsel and their um, uh, source of information and guidance from God, they were themselves wanted to be God and be their own source of counsel. Until this day, this is the fall of man is wanting to fall, wanting to be their own guide and to determine, you know, right and wrong, good and evil, heaven and hell, everything. Um, so this is, Yanni, until this day, this is something that humanity, Yanni, struggles with. Any other questions? Thank you, guys. Are there any, any questions? Uh, are there any questions in the Zoom chat? Might have uh, been sent to you privately. I don't know. What else would they be able to see? No. Okay. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everyone. Have a blessed night. Thank you, Buna. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Thank you all for being here. We're about to start a, a, a discussion about uh, social media apologetics, or like how we are, like what we do on social media, really, like whether we're, uh, how we post, what we, what we post, what we comment, and this will be private, and on Zoom, we're like uh, we have to disconnect and say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Tell you guys good night. Unless you want to join us, you have to go ahead and check your announcements email uh, for how to join us. Thank you. <laughs>